Hello, welcome to Convo Drop. I'm Saeed, and today we're going to be talking about just some updates about my life and how COVID and everything going on has affected me. And we're going to probably talk about some racial issues as well and some tech stuff. So it's going to be all over the place. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoy the podcast. So let's just jump right into it. So, let's just start this off with something grim. COVID-19. So, in Wales so far, there's over 15,000 cases. To be more exact, it's 15,890 cases. In terms of recovery and deaths, there doesn't seem to be any recording when you Google it. But, in the UK, um, that's added... Wales, England, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. So add them all up together. That's over 293k. That's how many confirmed cases we have. In terms of recovered, it didn't seem to be showing any. And in terms of death, it's showing 45,119. And over 13.6 million confirmed cases worldwide. Recovery, 7.6 million. And deaths, 585k. Man, that's a lot of people dying though. Like, that's mad. And keep in mind, the UK peaked in... In cases, the UK peaked on the 29th of April. That is mad. And the sad thing is, right, a lot of people are going outside without masks, not social distancing at all. Like I saw this one thing on Twitter where you had a bunch of chavs, like all around this corner shop, just chilling. A police officer comes up and instantly the chavs started jogging around and it was absolutely hilarious. But... It just goes to show that people don't give two flying shits about this entire thing. Especially in America. In America, you have literal people protesting a virus. And, like, America's cases so far are beyond, beyond any other country at the moment now. Like, we're towards the halfway point of 2020, but this virus showed up literally at the start and it's just horrifying what this has done and also horrifying when you realize how many stupid people there are in this world thanks to this virus that's a sad thing for me like i have a grandmother who literally is around the corner from me and I don't want to visit her in case I potentially give her the virus. I don't want to be responsible for the death of my grandmother. Right? I don't want to be responsible for anyone's death. Like, imagine that, right? Imagine you have a grand, you have someone who is a compromised, uh, immune has a compromised immune system or ha- hasn't developed a proper immune system, and they die 
because of your inability to socially distance and wear a mask or quarantine for 14 days. Imagine that. Your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your parents, your brother, your sisters, your people you care about, your friends, your fam- family, everyone. Gone. Or because you, for some forsaken reason, decided, you know what, I'm not going to pay attention, I'm not going to obey these rules. I'm not going to wear this mask, which will prevent the, the virus potentially getting out, because of what? You believe that you're going to inhale CO2? It's been proven wrong. And if if you think that wearing a mask makes you breathe in CO2, why would doctors wear one for hours on end for surgeries? You see it all the time. People just want to make excuses because they don't want to obey by certain rules. It's my freedom of speech. It's my freedom. If your freedom causes someone else's death, that's not freedom. That's selfishness right there. No, someone's freedom should not affect someone else's. Right? A free everyone has freedom to live a life. But no one and I mean no one has a right to do something which will affect someone else's life. Especially if that results in death. That's what I don't get with this entire pandemic is the amount of people not getting that through the thick skull that their actions have consequences and could potentially murder someone. You know, that's what it is. If you're going out there without masks, not social distancing, and you end up giving the, uh, the virus to someone, you are responsible. You're the one who murdered them. And I don't understand why people don't have that in their head. Especially Americans. Because I've seen so many videos from America that has idiots believing that it's fake. Because of what? Everyone around the world believes it? It's like saying cancer's not real. Everyone is affected by that. Everyone's affected by this cancer. Everyone's affected by this virus as well. Like, it's just unbelievable how selfish people could be. And the thing is, it's not a lot of. It's not a lot of people. People from the, the generation Z. It's people from, you know, a lot of millennials and boomers and. I don't see a lot of people from Generation Z who are doing this. I see a lot of millennials and boomers and all sorts doing this, and it's just shocking. I don't understand why people don't. And this, people don't understand the seriousness of this virus. And anti-vaxxers especially, you know for a fact that there's some anti-vaxxers who will not take the vaccine. And that's just mind-boggling to me. These people who protest against vaccines, right, 
potentially will not take the vaccine for this virus. And that's just horrifying. Granted, some some of them might have become pro-vaccine now because of this virus, after realizing you know how damaging something like this could be. You know, sometimes it takes it takes something very very horrifying to happen for people to change, and that's a sad thing because you get told countless and countless times until it's too late. Once it's too late, then people take action, which is the problem. If we take action once it's too late, then we could have prevented that beforehand. But taking action before it could have actually happened, when it should have, you know, popped up. Like, people should have been taking action back in December. This is when it started. You know, China didn't take precautions back in December. They slowly did, but not everyone else in the world. Now what's mind-boggling to me, right? I never knew about this in December, right? I didn't know about this until I, uh, I, I say around March, like everyone else. Like I, I heard some rumors back in January, but that was all it, rumors. I, I couldn't really trust rumor because, you know, it's a rumor. There's no, there's nothing factually backing it. But then when March came around and I just saw what was happening. Um, one of my teachers during March actually decided to um, stay at home. I started to go to college. And this is something that will affect me now. This virus has literally affected my uh, my education, and you see a lot of people now protesting for refunds for you know all those university students are asking for refunds now because you know they're not getting the education that they wanted because of this virus, and you know a lot of these universities aren't actually abiding by that. Which I don't understand. I don't understand that at all. They're entitled to a refund. In all honesty, they're entitled to it. To it. If you, right, if you provide a service, and you're not given the right um, quality because a global pandemic, you should technically give it back. Give that back the money. Granted, you should possibly give half, because you know. Half of it is out of your control. But then, the it's a very sticky situation, to be honest with you. I definitely, in my personal opinion, I think they are entitled to a refund. I, I just can't wait for this, for a vaccine to pop up. A, a, any soon, man. I, I really want the vaccine to pop up so bad. I don't really like wearing the mask, but, you know, I have to wear the mask. Because I don't want to be responsible for someone's death. And that's the thing. I have that in my head now, where if I don't socially distance and I don't wear a mask, I'm going to be responsible for murdering someone, and I I can't have that. 
that's that's just why I hate I hate this virus so much because potentially you have the possibility of murdering someone without realizing it. Let's move away from the grim stuff and go into something better, technology. So in recent news, Apple's been Apple has announced that they're moving away from Intel chips to their own. Now, this is for their computers. They've been using their own chips for their iPhones and iPads for ages now. But this is really good because Apple makes their own operating system for their computers. But what does this mean? This means that, number one, Apple could actually have laptops which are not only one of the most powerful on the market but also very battery efficient this also means that temperature regulations with the current design for the macbook pros and the macbook air could be so much better people have been wanting apple to move over to their own chips ever since 2016 when they first unveiled the design of the new macbook pros one common problem people have with MacBook Pros with this current design is temperature regulations. Before they had pro- a lot of people had problems with the butterfly keyboards, which was a huge problem. But they moved over now to the uh, the standard type of buff- standard keyboard type switch, which is so much better. Now I myself I'm using a MacBook Pro with a butterfly keyboard and I never had a problem. So inshallah that uh, I don't have any problems. But the MacBook that I'm using is an Intel based one. So in two to three years, which is what Apple's saying, hopefully they'll be on their own chipsets completely. Everyone has moved over by then and that's good. But if you're a consumer like me, who doesn't have a lot of money and has to save up for quite a while to buy something like this. That's a problem. Now, Intel-based chips, on compared to the Apple-based chips on benchmarks, it's just astonishing difference. The Apple chipsets are so much better in performance. Now, that's obvious because Apple makes the chip and the software, so... That kind of just makes it more apparent that they should move over. But what this also means is that the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pros will get so much more powerful. So potentially you could have a MacBook Air that's as powerful as an Intel based MacBook Pro. You could have a, a MacBook Pro which is able to edit 8K. Not 8K RAW, because 8K RAW is going to be editable on a Mac Mac Pro. Although, as of recently, Blackmagic has announced a 12K camera. So, potentially, what this means is that the Mac Pro will be be editing 12K RAW, and the MacBook Pros will be able to edit 8K RAW, and the MacBook Air will be able to edit 4k raw and that's very easy for them to do 
if Apple could focus hard on the optimization, they could actually get in the MacBook Air to edit 4K RAW. Potentially do they could potentially do that. Keep in mind that Apple's chips for their Macs is gonna be enormous compared to the chips that they use for the iPads and the iPhones. Because those are very small chips. And keep in mind the system on the chips. So that's the GPU and the CPU and all that in one. So Apple making you know their own dedicated CPUs will be a lot better than having the GPU long put into it. They could put a C a system on the chip in there in the MacBook Pros and the MacBook Airs and Mac and the Macs. But I don't really see them doing that. I see, what I see them doing is making a proper CPU and then getting like a Radeon GPU flapped in there or something. That's what I see. Sorry about that, I'm just getting tissue. But that this is all in theory because Apple is not gonna release this laptop with it. These Apple chips at base max until December. That's what this said during their keynote. So this is gonna be really good. But one problem people have seen is the Pro Display XDR uses Thunderbolt 3, which is an Intel copyrighted thing for displaying and all information. And you know the MacBook Pros, the MacBook Airs, and you know all those use Thunderbolt 3. So what does this mean? Because Thunderbolt 3 is owned by Intel. Well, USB 4 is currently coming out, is stated for December, and it's literally the exact same as Thunderbolt 3, but because it's USB, everyone will be able to use it without having to pay an amount for it. So that is great, because having Thunderbolt 3, which is in everything, it's going to in, improve devices so much, especially for phones, because phones use the same type of port that a laptop uses nowadays. The USB-C port is used in phones, laptops, Nintendo Switch, cameras, everything. We're slowly but slowly going to USB-C for everything. And that's great because of how small that port is. And I can't wait to have USB-C everything. Sadly, I I can't at the moment because of my camera. Literally, everything else is USB-C but my camera, which is micro-USB. And I blame that entirely on Sony because Sony doesn't put USB-C in the microphone third. Not microphone third. Uh, Sony doesn't put USB-C in the... APS-C line cameras at all. They only put it in their full frame and the full frame line of cameras are expensive. So that's not gonna happen until a couple of years, but Apple will 
um, back onto the point, Apple will support Intel-based Macs, but it's, it's going to be up to a point. Now, to make the, uh, the progression from Intel to their own chipsets, they have released a software which will allow you to do it. They sent out developer kits, which are these Mac Mini, Mac Minis with the Apple-based chips inside, but they're gonna expect you to send that back after after these uh, Apple-based chipset Macs are officially available to the public. So one good thing though is the Macs could technically become even smaller. And I can't wait for that. But one thing I, I really want though is macOS on an iPad. Or just take the iPad Pro, right? Slap on macOS, call it the Mac Slate. And that would be a lot better. Like, have that be like a, a cheaper version of the MacBook Air. But then. It would be like the 12-inch MacBook and the MacBook Air situation that we had a few, few years ago. So, you can either call that the Mac Slate or the new MacBook Air. It's really up to them, but I really do hope that these new Mac Macs actually are able to edit like 4K raw easily. I don't really do any video in 4K raw. Because I, I, I can't film in RAW, but I do film in 4K for my YouTube, and it takes ages to actually upload. But it is really good to have something that's to edit that to put footage very easily. And I can't wait for those to come out. In terms of camera news, Canon showed off their. Um, US R5 and R6 and Sony has announced a reveal date for the A7S3 so the R5 the Canon US R5 is Canon's professional level mirrorless camera it's a replacement for the US for the um, Mark 5D Mark III the 5D series is now out of commission now is the R5 series and the 6D series is no longer available is now the R6 series so these are Canon's mirrorless offerings so the 5D is was one of the biggest cameras and widely used in the professional world now that the R5 is here the R5 is able to film in 8K 6K 4K all the, all the resolutions. One big problem people was having is overheating, which has occurred. Peter McKinnon did mention it, but you have 8K in an SLR style body. 8K was only available in professional level cinema cameras. You have in a cinema camera level quality in a still camera body and that is amazing because 
that's like taking today's smartphones, right? Which, if you look back 10 years ago, right? Today's smartphones would technically be considered more like a netbook. And you wouldn't believe that back then, but nowadays it does seem more plausible. And that's one thing. So the potential for this you know, for this R five is that a lot more indie films will now be filmed in higher resolutions. But one problem is they won't be able to edit eight K due to the fact that number one uh, a lot of machines which are needed to edit eight K footage are expensive. On Windows especially is is more it's more plausible because it's easy to get yourself a very strong GPU for a Max. You may have a little bit of trouble, you might have to get an eGPU solution because the Mac Pro is not available in an affordable price range, which is a problem for a lot of these indie filmmakers. But do expect, do expect a lot of indie films now to be in high resolution, because this this camera is definitely amazing, especially in image stabilization. If you watch Pete McKinnon's videos uh, of the unveil of the US of the R five and R six. And one of his latest videos, uh, I think it's his second latest video at the moment of record, recording this podcast, which is today's date, 18th of July. So if you look at Peter McKinnon's channel, I believe the, the day he uploaded the, the vlog where he actually filmed on the R5, that was four days ago, so July 14th, so that's footage was shot on the R5. I recommend you look at it if you're if you want to know how a professional level cinema quality video would look in a still camera body. I highly suggest it. Now the R6 is a more for is very much of what Basically, like a little bit of a watered down version of the R five. It does off. It's still a really good camera though, the R six. So the recording, they are recording limits for both cameras, which is sad. But no crop in four K for both of them, and you do get. 20 FPS high speed shooting, 8 stops IS. So that's really good. Um, you do, the sensor megapixel size is actually quite high at 20.1 for the R6, and I believe it's. So I believe it's higher for the um, R5, pretty sure. Let's double check. Um, 4K up to 60, 60p 
on the R6. Both have dual pixel um, AF. So that's one reason why a lot of people tend to go with Canon is due to the autofocus. It is very, very high, high quality. I definitely think that these cameras will be used by a lot of YouTubers now. It's, I'm not talking about like your average YouTuber. I'm talking about more of your um, high production YouTubers like your MKBHD, your um, Pete McKinnon, your Matt Hoya. Like I'm talking about those type of creators, those creators which will go with a professional level video quality. So the megapixel. Okay, I got the megapixel size for the EOS R5. So, so the EOS R, so that was the first mirrorless camera from Canon. That was a 30.3 megapixel. EOS R6, 20.1. And EOS R5, 45 megapixel. All of those cameras are full frame. In terms of image stabilization, you have five access in body IS, up to eight stops when used with a compatible RF lens for the R6, and that's the same with the R5. And in terms of subject detection, US, USR, US6, and USR5. Um, so the US R just face and eye, whereas the R6 and R5 just body, face and animal detection. So if you really do like taking photos of animals, say you're a Nat Geo photographer or videographer, this will make it so much easier to focus. In terms of l low light, so sensitivity for the US R is my it's minus 6 EV, uh, EOS R6, minus 6.5 EV, and EOS R5, minus 6 EV. Now, this is the, the thing that will be a major driving force for a lot of people. So, first rate. So, continuous shooting speed for the EOS R6 is 12, 12 frames per second with servo AF. 20 frames per second with electronic silent shutter and servo AF and that's the same with the R5 whereas with the USR it was 8 FPS with fixed autofocus and 5 FPS with servo AF so it looks like with the R5 and R6 servo AF will actually provide a higher shooting speed so that's going to be really useful for the Olympics next year and that is probably a major driving force for why Canon are releasing these cameras right now. Because of the delay of the Olympics, this will provide them a better footing in for examples of how these will look in photos. So, okay, so now we're going to go on to video recording. So, 
for the US R6, 4K at 60fps, 4K time-lapse mode, 4 HD movies at 120 frames per second, Canon Log 1 HDR PQ, 10-bit 4.2.2 internal recording, IPP compression. For the US R5, you have 8K up to 30fps, 4K up to 100 to 120fps, 4K time-lapse mode, Canalog 1 HDRPQ, 10-bit 4.2.2 internal recording, or um, IVP compression as well, slash OI compression, or O1, I think it is, it's hard to tell, no, it's uh, OL or OI or something, I can't tell because of the font, um, 10-bit 4.2.2 uncompressed 4K 6-bit external recording for the R5. So external recording is a lot better for the R5 then than, say, internal. So if you have an SSD hooked up to it, that's going to serve you a lot better for cinema. So my guess is that Netflix will probably certify this for their certified line of cameras hopefully because right at the time of recording this the only camera which is a still which is a still body camera that is certified by netflix is the panasonic lumix s1h i believe i think that's the only one uh, another driving force for these cameras, so that's the R6 and R5, is the memory card slot. So the memory card slot for both of these cameras are different. So for the R5, you have a CF, uh, CF Express port and a SD card slot. But for the R6, you have dual SD card slot. So the dual SD card slot is definitely a lot more affordable when it comes to memory because when the prices for SD cards are vastly cheaper compared to CFS Express. So both cameras are available for pre-order at the moment but the Pete McKinnon and other um, Canon ambassadors have gotten pre-production versions of these cameras so you should be able to find videos on these on YouTube very easily. Um, when it comes to Sony, so Sony announced that their US, um, Sony announced the A7S III is announcement on, uh, I think it's the 28th of July, I believe, so, let me double check that. Um, so, Sony... Sony Alpha rumors have actually uh, tried to predict what the specifications are going to be, but I don't really trust them as much because they do get things wrong a lot of the time, and they're not very, they're not trusted as well in the camera community as other rumor sites. Um, I can't seem to find that exact date. Let me check the official alpha uh, website or Instagram page they should have a post about it 
Yep. Here it is. July 28th, 2020 at 10 o'clock Eastern EDP. Ooh. <laughs> Becky and Chris commented, oh my god. <laughs> and Nightscape as well, he commented. A lot of verified users. So, July 28th it is when this is going to be unveiled. And that's about 10 days time. No one knows exactly how this camera will be, but everyone knows it's, how it's going to look at, at least. It's going to look similar to its, the previous one, because camera bodies tend to do anyway. It, they're not very different when it comes to the body design, but when it comes to the specification and how they perform, that is a major big thing. So, in terms of card slots, and ports, we don't know. One thing we know for sure is USB-C because they're, they're, that port is in every other camera that they sold so far in that lineup of the S-Series. Sorry about this, my nose is very dribbly today. Hay fever is a pain in my ass. But until the A7S III is unveiled, we won't exactly know what specifications are. We... I guess I could say the Sony Alpha Rumors um, specifications in the meantime, but do take it with a grain of salt. These are rumors, they're not exact, so please do take this with a grain of salt. So, Sony's confirmed A7S three launches on July 28th. Here's what you, we know so far. So, oh, this is actually from Pixel, um, Peter Pixel. So, PeterPixel.com is actually saying what the specifications are. Or what we know it's going to be. Redesigned 12 megapixel sensor with fast readout, likely a stacked CMOS sensor, 16-bit raw output, a claim 15 stops of dynamic range which should be possible with a 16-bit raw 1080, 1080p 24 uh, flow motion, 10-bit 4224K, 24p video and 4K 120 P raw video over HDMI. Um, six hundred megabits per second bit rate, based ISO of six hundred sixty. Based ISO one hundred and sixty for S log three with no dual ISO, no recording limits, fully functional, fully articulating screen, and two, and um, UHS two. SD card slot. I am so sorry for my stuttering. I am not good <laughs> at reading stuff out and the uh, recordings. Um, so that is what is predicted. So a fully articulated screen is going to be very useful for a lot of YouTubers because this type of camera is what's used among YouTubers now. So it's either Canon or Sony. Often 
one thing you should know if you're watching, if you're listening to this or watching some YouTuber with a Sony camera, is that a lot, every Sony camera from the 6000 series to the A7S, A7, A7R, are all capable of shooting S-Log2. So S-Log2 is a cinematic profile which will allow better looking video. So, so a lot of the YouTubers you're watching are not actually doing the best they can for video quality. So if you want a YouTuber to up their quality, tell them to shoot S-Log2 and learn to color grade in Adobe Premiere Final Cut or DaVinci Resolve, which is what's used nowadays for color grading. So this is has been all the tech information that's been out so far. So I hope you guys enjoyed this bit. And yeah. This is the end of the podcast. Recording of this podcast was thanks to Anchor who delivered this to your podcast app of choice. If you want to start a podcast, I recommend you use Anchor because it makes distribution easy. This podcast was able to be on your podcast app of choice because of Anchor. And you can find this anywhere thanks to this app, which is available on iOS and Android. And you can also use the web version if you want to use a computer to actually edit the audio. So I highly recommend you use Anchor. If you'd like to see the other things that I do, I have provided links in the show notes. Thank you for listening and I hope you have an astonishing great day. Peace.